This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I'm Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk to nonprofits and specifically about how brand can be your secret weapon. So this may be a pretty big hill to climb. We know what the current perception of brand and the marketing generated from it can be. So April, what have we heard? I know I've heard, I don't need brand because my cause carries it. Or I've heard our budgets are so lean we can't afford it. Or having nice marketing materials sends the wrong message to funding sources. Oh, yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Or we're just simple, humble people who don't like to brag. Or we don't want to take advantage of people for our own promotional gain. (laughs) Oh, geez. All right, I'm sure there's more. And we're not trying to make fun of the situation, but we do want to bring this up because what's required here is a mindset shift. And we really want people to embrace that. Even though you're a nonprofit, you are still a business, and it's just not a for-profit one. It doesn't mean that the power to create a compelling presence isn't really, really useful in order to make your nonprofit stand out, in order to be able to disproportionately win favor and resources and all that attention that you need, mainly people and money, in order for your nonprofit to thrive. Yes, and in case this is your first time listening, brand is defined by three foundational questions. Who am I? How am I different? And why do you want me? And whether you're talking in the for-profit world to a customer, consumer, or client, or the nonprofit world of a potential funding source, candidate, partner, volunteer, or employee, answering these questions in a compelling way is critical for surviving and thriving, especially when we know there's more than 14,000 nonprofit organizations in Cincinnati alone and 1.97 million of them in the U.S. So just think about those numbers. Any differentiator you can get, you need. Yeah, that probably might be one of the most competitive industries out I know. there. <laughs> I know. When you pulled these numbers, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, yep. I, right? Yeah. So hopefully we've gotten your attention and you're going to be listening and taking some notes and reaching out to us if you want to have more conversation about that. But with that, let's jump into the nonprofit edition of how to capture attention with brand. So first, brand inspires people to care. So let me set this up with a context that's very familiar for all nonprofits, and that is fundraising. And this is a very unique one for nonprofits, right? So this might be really hard for a lot of you guys to hear, but the person who cares the most about your cause is you. Yep. Right? And so you might find others who can sympathize with your cause because they have maybe been touched by it or They've had a family member or a friend go through it or one of those sorts of things. But that's really more the exception than the rule. And so if you want your nonprofit to actually thrive and be able to pool that donorship money that you so need in order for it to thrive, you have to expand why they should care about you to a broader audience and just people who understand your cause. And when we start to put that in front of people, and especially when we say, hey, listen, you know, there's 14,000 
other nonprofits. And there's a good portion of those who do a very similar thing to what you're doing. A lot of times we hear, but we do it so much better, <laughs> yep. right? Which is what we love to hear because that means that is a conversation about brand. Great. Well, that leads us back then to the questions that April stated at the beginning. Who are you? How are you different? Why should people want you? And when you answer these questions, you have to do it in a way that actually addresses why that other person would want you. Why did that other person, that donor, for example, think you're different? Why should they care about what your cause is and how is that going to impact them, right? So you have to pull these all these things together into these compelling statements into an ultimate choice for why you. Now, once you start doing that, and that's really where the art is, a lot of people ask us, well, how do I then do this? How do I think through this? So the first thing you want to really think about is that you need to tell a story. Again, this goes back to the brand fundamentals. Why are you here? What motivated you to start this? What is your purpose? Okay, so that is really important to put together that narrative in, in order to be able to really exemplify that. Next, you want to be able to connect to the emotional payoff for the fundraiser. That is generally rooted in the impact and how it's benefiting them. Again, there has to be some sort of connection to why they should care. And now why they should care is you're doing something for their world that makes them feel like they're a better person in some way. It might just be the virtue of the fact that they're giving you money, but they can give their money to anybody. So what is it about your specific nonprofit, your specific cause that's going to make them feel better about the money that they're actually giving you? Then you need to also make it focused. When we tend to hear these narratives from nonprofits, they tend to be very broad and they also tend to have like what we call the kitchen sink narrative where it's like we put everything in there, everything that we do, all the reasons why we do it. You have to keep it focused or else you just dilute the overarching message. And so that's really, really hard to do. And again, that's rooted in brand. That's rooted in the brand foundation of, again, those three questions. Why are you here? Why do people want you? How are you different? So that is where you start. Now, these three questions come to life verbally, what we call the brand story, brand character, and tone of voice. Those are usually the tools we use. There's also a visual element with the brand toolkit, which is logos, fonts, colors, textures, photography, icons, all of those sorts of things. When you put those together, you create that brand foundation, both from a verbal and a visual standpoint, that then creates a resonance for your brand. And if you need more about what those items are or how to actually develop or execute them, we have podcast episodes I believe on every single one of those as of now. I'm right? pretty sure. I know I was ticking them off as you said that, but yeah, we do. But back to this point about brand inspiring people to care. I'll say when we initially make this point, and if you're feeling this way right now, people do sometimes give us that skeptical side eye. And, right. you know, it's like, well, how's that going to work? And okay, you know, but we're trying to be fiscally responsible. We did all the things we talked about at the beginning, right? But when we dive into all the ways that this comes to life, the heads turn the other way as they engage with us. And we know that this can seem daunting overall. And that's another piece of pushback we give to the point of like, I have a day job or we already are strapped for resources or mm -hmm. all that. Even if it's not a money thing, it becomes a time thing. But what we'll say is that when you take the time to get this right, it really becomes a true differentiator. You're able to build all the things Anne talked about, about people caring at a deeper, more connected level than just one off. I was connected to this somehow or I had someone that had this disease or whatever that looks like. But the other thing that it does is that 
on the back end of building these tools, it makes everything else easier to execute. I know that's not the point of this one of inspiring to care, but I do think it's another thing to think about for your internal team is that once you have the tools that Anne outlined, it makes it easier for your team to create materials that builds the connection with the end consumer or target that you're, or person you're trying to get money from, quite frankly, in a way that is authentic because it's repeatable and it becomes sort of second nature to the people creating all of those brand execution materials that'll live out there in the world. So it's a bit of a secondary benefit, but it gets you there faster in the long run is what I would say. Yeah, because I think at the end of the day, a donor wants to believe that they're putting their money in the hands right. of people who are Better going way to of saying it. Yes. really do something yes. with it, Yes, which means that you have to establish a level of trust that you're going to be able to take these dollars and translate them to some level of change. Yes, that's right. right and it's a right. change that they want to see yes. in the world, in their environment, in their town, in their local community, whatever that environment or that their, their scope of reference is. And you have to be able to demonstrate that. So it's not just the fact that you believe or you're passionate about something, mm -hmm. you have to show that you have the right processes in place, mm -hmm. the right tools in place, the right partners in place, that you have the capability to, in order to be able to realize this. And you have, hopefully, already some element of a track record through case studies, through testimonials that demonstrates that you are indeed effective. And hopefully you have some stats to go along with that yeah. as well, which is really, really important to be able to showcase the, the magnitude of what you're able to accomplish with the money that you're given. Yes. Yeah. All right. So the second point of how to capture attention with brand is that brand cultivates culture. Now, it can be difficult to attract top talent because generally nonprofits pay lower than for-profit businesses. I mean, it's just the nature it's of true. it. Generally, you have to run on leaner and meaner budgets and we get that. And actually, people that are applying for these jobs get that too. And what's more, like generally, a lot of these nonprofits, we rely on volunteer staffing. We're not even paying. They just need people to show up mm -hmm. and they need good people to show up who are actually going to do what they need them to go do. So how do you make up for this pay deficit? Generally, it's through culture. Culture can become an equalizer for some who want to be a part of something bigger than themselves and feel like their efforts are making a difference. And for them, that it can compensate for a slightly lower amount of pay. But they also know this talent that's going to come and work for you that it's not easy working at a nonprofit. I mean, that's just generally understood. Like I said, there's a lean and mean team, so they expect that they're going to have to wear many hats. They expect the work to be mentally, physically, and emotionally draining. A lot of these causes <laughs> are that way inherently, and then the work on top of that creates even more so, which is why cultivating a culture that attracts and keeps talent and volunteers is so critical. So how do you cultivate culture? I'm sure you're going to be able to answer this question. <laughs> it's through brand. And this is a really, really, really important point is culture is the manifestation of brand. It is not the other way around. So those tools that we talked about, like your brand story, your brand character, your tone of voice, as well as your mission, vision, values, they play a really big role in helping to find the parameters but the key is in the activation. These can't just be things that you say, that you put into a report, that you hang on the wall. This means that you have to define the behaviors and actions which are going to shape the culture. And then you have to live them. So April, I know you do a lot of this for a lot of our clients. So maybe you can give some examples of what this actually looks like of taking these tools, these branding tools, and actually translating them into elements of culture. 
Yeah, I mean, and this is a place where historically a lot of teams get really disappointed because they don't do anything with these tools. And so this is really, really a critical point if you want to use them to build culture. You can have the best mission, vision, values in the world, but if, to Anne's point, they go in a report or in a desk drawer, they're just posted on the wall and nobody ever really talks about them, then you've completely missed the opportunity to utilize brand strategy to create the culture that you're looking for. And so one of the things that really is pretty mandatory as part of our process is, yes, you build the mission, vision, values as part of the strategic tools. But from the very beginning, you're integrating folks within the teams and key people within the organization in order to build them in a way that's going to be meaningful for the culture that you're striving for. So a lot of times we say, you know, it's, and many times it's not senior leadership. It's someone that everybody looks to for planning the happy hour on Fridays right. or the person that's always organizing the kickball teams each summer. You know, those types of folks that have a pulse on the really great things that are just organic and inherent in your culture. But even if you don't have a lot of that stuff, you can build it from the ground up. And so to pair with these tools, we do what's called a brand activation plan. And honestly, it's fairly customized by organization because we have to look for the opportunities where it's going to take hold most naturally. And that really takes an understanding of what culture exists, both not good and good, quite frankly. What do you have to counteract? What do you have to build? What's there that we can really leverage and and move forward? But it goes back to having a roadmap that lives beyond just a piece of paper that you hand out to people, you post on the wall or you put in a binder for them. It really has to start to permeate the organization. And so what we say is, as soon as you have this mission, vision, values, you should be hiring, firing, and evaluating on a regular basis with these tools, which means that they really do have to start to live and take hold in the organization. And specific examples of ways to do this are things that we add into those activation plans are, for example, when you roll out the values, you roll them out and you reward someone in the culture that represents that. And then you repeat that. So every month, one of the values is the value and peers nominate the people on their teams. And it doesn't have to be a huge expense. It can be things like prime parking for a month, a $30 Starbucks gift card and your name on the wall for winning the value at that point in time, right? When I talk about things like hiring and firing, you redo your job descriptions and you redo your review templates to incorporate the expectations of the type of people that work within the organization based on mission, vision, values. So if one of your values is all around this idea of being a team player, and you have someone that's not being a team player, the conversation is to go to them and say, this is the expectation of the culture of the organization and you're being evaluated on this in your review. Mm -hmm. So either you need to get on board or that's where the firing conversations start. But you're looking for ways in which it naturally can be part of the organization. The big win is when people start feeding it back to you in the words as part of the vernacular of the organization. So one of the really specific examples I give is one of the organizations I worked at one of our values was we've got your six, which is a military term, which I never get right. So I'm not gonna, I'm just going to stop there. But basically, it means we have your back. Mm-hmm. And I was exiting a conference room and one of the project managers said to one of the senior account folks, I'm not going to be there tomorrow. Can you take on whatever it was? And I heard him say back, yes, I can, because, you know, I've got your six. And yes, that was said a little bit in jest. But the fact that it came out as a statement of someone from the organization, to me, that's the ultimate win because then it means that it has taken hold and is part of 
the culture in such a way that people are using the words in the mission, vision, values. Again, they're not just living on the wall. They're becoming part of that vernacular in the way people talk to each other. So it's a bit long-winded, but you can see you need the plan and then all the way through to the different ways to execute. And it is different based on each organization, but you're looking for authenticity and ways to get it to really become part of the culture. Yeah, and I think those are fantastic examples. And I want to just make sure that we root it too in the world of nonprofits because I think a lot of times when we talk to our nonprofits, they would think that the cause is what orients the culture, Mm -hmm. right? And this is where you have to get back into the business mindset and realize that your people, again, are going to have varying degrees of empathy with your actual cause. Uh And they're going to have varying degrees of understanding or um, familiarity with your cause, right? So you have to take a, a little bit of a business lens here and think about what kind of culture you're creating from a business standpoint. What kind of place is this to work regardless of what the cause is? It's the same way I mean, people go work for brands that they don't necessarily use, mm-hmm. right? So it's not about needing to have be passionate about the brand in order to create the culture. And so this is the same thing for the nonprofit. You might have people who are not as passionate. Maybe they're not as empathetic. Maybe all those sorts of things. I know it sounds a little bit sacrilegious to say. So you have to create a culture outside of that. And a culture just doesn't happen. I think that's the other thing that a lot of people think. (laughs) It just kind of is what's created as a result of the people that come together. But actually, to your point, April is exactly right on. The culture should be created based on the type of culture you want to create and then the people are chosen and molded and cultivated Mm -hmm. in order to operate within that culture. And that's really hard, I know, from a nonprofit because it's like, you know, pulling teeth sometimes to get people into your organization. But that doesn't mean that you should be sacrificing culture in order to go do that because that will permeate through everything. And for an organization that runs Lean and Me and for an organization that needs funding sources in order to thrive and needs partners in order to thrive, you're not just selling products to consumers and consumers where you can maybe get away with a little bit like that. The whole vibe needs to be consistent. If it's not and it breaks down, then you're going to struggle in order to be able to differentiate in this world that's highly competitive for your nonprofit. Well, and I I think, too, I would argue that in some ways, nonprofits need brands to assist with culture more than other types of organizations. And what I mean by that is because a lot of nonprofits deal with some pretty hard topics, right? Everything from, you know, second chance in employment after being incarcerated to diseases to, you know, just the hard parts of life, right? And so you need to fill people's cup and help them and support them in that way as human beings, which is where culture can really help because, you know, I mean, in branding and marketing, I always say we're not saving lives, right? In some of these nonprofits, we are very much dealing with people's lives and livelihood. And so it can get heavy and hard. You need the culture to counteract that or at the very least show people that they're supported and it's recognized that they're working for something that is difficult just as a concept or topic or, or day-to-day job for them. Yeah, but, and they're still appreciated, respected, yes. treated yes. as humans in, yes. their, in their own right and not made to feel guilty or ashamed by that. No, right, right? exactly. Yes. 
We would like to invite you to join Forthright Women, the cohort. This community is for females who are ambitious in their careers but want an equally fulfilling personal life. It can be quite a dilemma between what society tells us we should do and what we feel called to do. Sometimes it's even hard to distinguish between the two. This group is all about uncovering what may be holding us back, getting the tools, inspiration, and support we need to shift our perspective, and getting on the road to our visions. For more information and to join the group, check out forthright-women.com. All right, so our third point for nonprofits and how to create and capture attention with brand is brand establishes a clear hierarchy by which to establish partnerships. Now, as we know, a nonprofit rarely operates autonomously. So bringing on partners to extend their service offerings and build advocacy is essential. However, it could cause really big problems if those partner brands are stronger than the nonprofits. So even in an umbrella context, if you think about the United Way and all of the brands that United Way supports, United Way can be a really nice umbrella, but sometimes can dwarf the brands that are underneath it and the nonprofits underneath it. And it's harder for the nonprofit then to shine within the context of the broader umbrella. This can happen with other types of partners as well. And when this happens and when you start to be kind of dwarfed by the bigger partner or the partner that has a more solid or recognizable brand, it can be harder for you then to get the things that you need, like your resourcing, like your talent. And so you have to start to create these brand guidelines and these rules of engagement that help you then to specifically articulate how you're going to show up in the context with another partner. And brand makes sure that these guidelines and these rules of engagement are rooted in what's important for your brand, your nonprofit, in order to make sure that it thrives. So for example, prominence of logos and the rules around logo lockups when you're partnering with these other organizations, inclusion and prominence and collateral, what are going to be the rules around that? Decision-making authority, especially on co-sponsored programs and events, who's talking, who's presenting, who is going to be hosting, then what is the actual environment looks like, you know, all of these sorts of things. The brand becomes a filter by which all of these choices are made and enforced. And it's super critical to make sure you are on the same page with your partners because I will tell you, especially a stronger brand will start to kind of take, 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 and you're going to have a really hard time being able to take anything back or actually have an element of presence because your voice will not be loud enough. Your brand will not be strong enough to be able to exert that authority. It is so interesting because I think this goes back to the we're service-based and it shouldn't matter and some of those pushbacks that we get. But this is a really real and tangible example and thing, something we have seen across, I'm like going through my head, like every pretty much every nonprofit that we've worked with because we're solving this problem of brand, right? But I, I think Anne's point is well taken that it is, I would say, nearly impossible to go backwards. So once you've let yourself be swallowed up by one of the big guys, good luck trying to get out from under that. But the other piece of this is it makes it more objective when you have these things in place. So really, really tactically and tangibly, sometimes the pure reason that the big guys take over is because they have this system in place. They have a brand. They have the elements. And so I've worked with nonprofits before where they're like, well, we don't like our logo and we don't really have any set colors and everybody does it differently. So just put whoever's logo is the big, you know, main group. And 
over time, that just minimizes so much of your presence and the impact you can have and the ability to stand on your own two feet. And so then to the previous points, when you're trying to get donors or you're trying to get people to come work for you, the big guys that they know provide a level of stability and comfortability and awareness and all of those things that then you're not going to have. On the other side of this, I have seen smaller groups do a really nice job with their branding and it becomes such a source of pride for everyone surrounding it that it takes off in a new and different way so that regardless of scale of the groups coming together, that brand is a unique differentiator for even the big guys because it's so well done. And so I think this one is a really easy one for people to get, but a proof point that is really important and comes up regularly with nonprofits because of the point Anne made about the fact that they're rarely autonomous, but that doesn't mean that they don't need their own source of strength in brand to be able to carry the desire to do all the things we've talked about so far in this episode and what we're trying to attract. I think that's a really fantastic point. And I I boil it down to like there is and you have to define what the mutual value proposition is. Because I think sometimes as a smaller nonprofit, we see an opportunity to partner with a, a bigger nonprofit and be like, oh, yes, they have money. Uh-huh. They yep. have clout. They have all of these things that I want. They're going to pull me up. And they can do that. That's why you need partners. And that's absolutely a strategy that can work. The problem where it breaks down is where a nonprofit feels like, they are so much bigger and better and, you know, and they have like all of this and who am I? I'm just like this small little like, you know, organization who's just trying to make it. Like April said, like you have a role to play for them or they wouldn't partner with uh-huh. you to begin with. Yep. So find out what that value proposition is and use it to your advantage in order to establish your identity within this partnership. Mm-hmm. I know for those who are like what we said in the beginning, who are like making those excuses, well, we're just humble or we're just <laughs> here for our cause and we don't want to take uh-huh. advantage of our people. Listen, you're not you're in a nonprofit because you are trying to help people. You're trying to generate impact by pretending that those people don't exist and that that impact isn't needed. You're not serving your nonprofit. So I'm pretty sure those people that you're trying to serve will want you to talk about them, to bring awareness to whatever issues that they're facing, to help serve them and other people might be going through the same thing. So you're going to have to get over a little bit of that mindset and realize that there is a way of doing it that is very appropriate, that serves everybody, that doesn't come off as feeling like you're quote unquote taking advantage. And again, when you put yourself in position with a different partner, you can then therefore feel very confident in saying, we know we bring this to the table yep. and this has value. And so we want to be able to leverage that in whatever we do, right? Yes, yes absolutely. All of that. All right. So our fourth and final point, nonprofit edition, how to capture attention with brand. Brand creates consistency and communication that lifts the business. And this is so, so important. And this is a very brand fundamental, but it's something that we don't see as much in nonprofits because, again, of some of the things that we heard. And the real fundamental truth here is that brand is built from the inside out. So you're not going to have clear and compelling external communications if internally your people aren't talking consistently about the brand. 
This is from all aspects of whoever is touching the nonprofit, from the people who are working in the front desk to the people who are doing the fundraising to the people who are actually writing the proposals to to try to get fundraising to the people who are working with the partners. All these people need to be talking in a consistent way because you need the power of the brand to lift your nonprofit. And you're only going to get that if everybody is talking consistently. If people are talking about it very, very differently, it starts to sound very siloed. And in people's brains, they can't connect the dots. You need to make it very, very easy to connect the dots. And you, you do that by using similar language. You get that, use that by having key themes, by key points that you want people to express. Now, that doesn't mean that people are going to be robotic in their storytelling. You're not giving them a script per se, but it does mean that everybody has a message track. What those key themes, key messages, what is important to say here. And that way, everybody starts to sound like they are talking from the brand voice. Now, this message track is anchored in the brand. That's why this is so fundamentally important. And it ensures that people can first like internalize what the brand means. And then they are able to put in their own voice so they can articulate it in a very natural way that feels that sounds like it's coming from them. But again, it's consistent with the brand architecture. That's how you drive consistency. Now, this informs everything. So this informs all of your external outreach from marketing materials to tools to channels to or, or your marketing channels to pitches to talks. And when your brand serves as a creative brief for all of these things, then the execution of these tools becomes much more efficient, which is what you need as a lean and mean team. So the consistency in the execution also serves like then as that fuel that actually lifts the brand, which makes everything a lot more productive. So this is a very important thing to concentrate on. And it's a hard thing because it means having to be very clear and focused and selective in the language you want to use. And then you also have to train people and then you have to reiterate it. And you're going to get tired of hearing yourself saying it. And you're going to be tired of like, I want to switch it up. And we can tell you from working in multiple years of advertising that people who are internal get sick of their messages a whole lot quicker than people outside, right? They need to hear it multiple times in order for that to actually resonate with them in multiple different places in order for that to resonate. But this is also how then you create and own your own space because people are going to start attributing those things to you and no one else. And that's how you create that moat that despite the fact there's all these other nonprofits with similar causes, people then decide to choose you. You're inspiring them to choose you, which brings me all the way back up to point number one. Like how that happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I preempted this point a little bit before, which I'm so good at doing. I get on a roll and then I forget um, what's coming next. But anyway, I think going back to what I said before, it's consistency and authenticity and ease. And Anne's exactly right. You have to repeat it to the point where like it just becomes the narrative in people's heads, right? And yes, we all get tired of that. We're like, wow, we've been looking at the same fill in the blank photography, iconography, I've said the brand story 80 different ways, but you have to remember that people, new people are coming to you all the time. And in this case, you know, it's fundraisers, it's other organizations you want to partner with, it's employees you're trying to bring to you all of those things. And so the consistent experience through the brand filter becomes the thing that is the thread that everybody can attach to because brand is the thing we connect to as human beings, right? It's that experience that we 
we need in order to choose you over someone else or you can see your differentiation, all those things that we talked about in the three questions we always answer. Who am I? How am I different? And why do you want me? And this, I think, sometimes becomes the less sexy part of the process. I think people, like you said, get tired and are like, oh my gosh, is it never going to take hold? Or, you know, are people mm-hmm. not hearing me? All of those types of things. But what we will say is that it does take time to take hold, but then it does become like a muscle that you can just flex. And then there's this always this moment in time where all of a sudden everything is working beautifully together. Like we mm-hmm. had a client recently say, Their RFP process was broken because they were recreating the wheel of their story and all these tools we talk about every single time for all of the businesses under their umbrella. And so we created these tools and we had a period of time where it was a little bit difficult and people had opinions and they wanted to push back and all of this, right? And then we hit this magical period where all of a sudden all we kept hearing was, oh my gosh, the RFPs are so easy to do. I mean, we just use the same template. I mean, it just comes out like in so many less hours. I don't have to ask as many people. I don't have to track stuff down, right? That's the piece that you want to get to. And that's the beauty of what can happen. And then as far as, you know, what other people need to hear, I mean, we used to use the stat that it took seven to 10 times for a message to break through to people. I mean, I've heard 10 times that now with the number of messages we receive each day. I'm sure the truth of the number is somewhere in the middle. But the point here is that you also have to think about how many times it takes for people to notice you above everything else they hear in a day, not just the other nonprofits that they potentially have to choose from. And so reiterating that message in a clear and consistent way that makes it easier for them to understand is this point here and it helps to build that relationship at that deeper level and helps them want to be part of you or be attracted to you or whatever, Mm -hmm. depending on what their role is within your organization. Yeah. And I think the name of the game here is efficiency and productivity. I mean, yes, your lean and mean team, we've said it a gazillion times and I'll close it out with that thought too, that when you have these tools, it becomes a process for than just using the tools. Yes. So when somebody is creating, like you just said, April, another RFP, or in your case, it may be another proposal for funding, yeah, or a it grant could be or like another like addressing whatever those documents are or those marketing materials are, you can lift from the brand story. You can lift from the message track. And people are not trying to recreate it every single time they go and yes. they're trying to do some sort of report or they're trying to do some sort of yearly um, year in review or whatever you you use those things and then yes people are going to be like yeah I've seen that I've seen that I've seen that which is good you want them to see it see it see it and you want them to be able to internalize and you want them to be able to articulate it because it becomes then natural like you said just muscle memory and that's where your productivity comes to and that's where you can then drive efficiency not only in the time you're spending on these things but then also in the amount of money you're spending on these things when you have these tools and you can just give them to people and say here's our tools, create something from this, yes, right? absolutely. All right, so that was a lot. <laughs> Switching gears. Switching gears. Next section that we always like to talk about is a marketing smarts moment. This is a brand that we've noticed that's either using their marketing smarts or not. It may or may not have anything to do with this episode. And mine does not always find it a challenge to just try to link it back to our topic, but I'm going to struggle with that. So mine is a more theme that I am seeing, and that is that streaming services are starting to really capitalize on ads now. Yep, who didn't see this coming? 
Yes. So very interesting (laughs) because, you know, if you listen to, if I'm just going to pick on, you know, Netflix for a second and you talk and you listen to Reed Hastings and you listen to the conception of Netflix and what's made Netflix so successful. And when he's, he was asked the question about, well, what if people share their logins? You know, is that a big deal? And he was like, no, I want people to share Mm -hmm. it. It helps to populate the actual streaming service. And then we're able to get revenue through all these other different streams. And so it just makes us more popular. And that helps to to serve the brand overall. I might paraphrasing greatly. General ideas. But that's a general like assessment from him. So I find it very interesting that what, like we're 15 years later, maybe now we're reverting back all the way the other way where we're trying to avoid people sharing. Mm Mm-hmm. So that we can actually get the revenue. But the way that we're punishing people is out by making it TV. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm finding this very odd and very like. It's a little surreal. It is very surreal. And it's very almost like meta where you're kind of like, we developed this in order to differentiate from TV. But now we're basically acting like TV. But we want you to pay your way out of actually the ads. And so what you used to pay, now you get ads. So now pay, you know, a huge premium more not to get ads which by the way the podcasting services are doing that too we're not doing that guys but that's happening as well yep i mean i just don't get it Mm -hmm. and i feel like now i mean because there's so many too that i'm not exactly sure if it's going to fulfill what they're looking for or it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy of just people are like well if this is the way it's going to be i might as well just go back to tv i know it's crazy, isn't right? it? Right? I'll just record all my shows and I'll fast forward through the commercials like I used to mm-hmm. before we had these streaming services. Because I'll tell you, now, because there's so many choices now, too, and there's so much crap mm-hmm. on these streaming services, even trying to find something, if you're just looking for something to watch. It's like channel surfing. It's very difficult. I get so frustrated with the fact, like, Tony be like, what about this? What about this? I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, 10 minutes just trying to find something to watch. I'm like, you know what? I'm done. Just turn on the TV. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't, I can't even do that anymore. Yep. So unless I'm going there to watch something specific that somebody actually told me about, I mean, it's a, such a harrowing experience anyway. And now I have to watch ads on top of that. On top of it. I know. I know. It's completely nuts. I mean, I was thinking about this. I forget. I was listening to, I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, and he brought up the whole like blockbuster Netflix, right. like, and so I kind of went down a similar path, which is why I chuckled when I saw this as your example. But I'm like, man, talk about stuff coming full circle. It's like because I mean I was talking about this the mm-hmm. other day, like we have YouTube TV now instead of cable, so that we can watch the gate whatever games are on, right? Yeah, and it's astronomically more expensive than oh, yeah. Netflix and Hulu and whatever, and. Yes, there are ads, which I think we pay for the one where we don't have them or something. But anyway, I was just starting to add up then the cost because your other point about how many there are. And so I'm like, I basically got to the point where you are on the, I'll just get back to TV because I'm exhausted from trying to find something of, I'm pretty sure it'd be cheaper if we just got cable. Whereas we all switched to streaming services before because we were like, oh my gosh, it's so much cheaper. And they have things on there that I want to watch watch, and I want to watch now. And now they're just streaming TV. Yes. On, old shows. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, yep. uh, I'm like a little lost. They're losing their like, identity. Lost. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, so I'm like, why do I need you again? Now, Amazon Prime I get. You get Prime. Yeah. You know, so. That's a little different. It's a little bit it's of a, a different It's an added model. benefit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that one you're willing to tolerate, but like Netflix, Disney Plus, and like all these sorts of things. 
And I think the thing that's really starting to irritate is you can't figure out what streaming service you need to watch the stuff you want to watch. I know. I mean, now with like sports being on different um, streaming services, like one of the playoff games was on Peacock exclusively. Right. So what's that going to mean when it comes to live sports? I mean, it's going to be very interesting Mm -hmm. to see. It's like the blackout. Like when you remember when when the blackout stadium and yeah, yeah. if you didn't sell enough uh, tickets locally, you couldn't watch the game. I mean, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this all resolves itself, because I feel like now there's too many choices. They're not differentiated enough. Mm hmm. So maybe that's the connection back to the nonprofit. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. We're not doing that. No. I mean, the whole brand thing. I mean, so they're oriented in brand where, you know, okay, I mean, that's maybe a little bit more of a stretch, but I had to at least try. So I think that that is something that the streaming service are really going to have to consider is who are they trying to serve again? And are they really truly serving them in a way that is going to justifiably make this something that's viable or not? And I'm not so sure it's going to well i think it's the identity crisis thing it's just become so fragmented in so many ways like the other thing that i was thinking as you were talking is the beauty used to be the whole season would come out of whatever show right, right? it doesn't even and do now that anymore. it's now so many of them are like we have to wait till next week to see the next one and i'm like again like we're mirroring tv i pay for this so that i can watch it all at one time so it's like they're grappling with their own identities and then I'm sure how to compete against each other and what the right thing is to do. And now they're all talking to themselves, which means we're all unhappy on the consumer side. Yeah, because they don't want you to buy it for a month and then watch your show and then cancel, and cancel. It, which right. is what we do on Disney, which is why now they do it on a week or a ha- like half the season and then six months later. The other I know. Half. And I'm like, like, I don't, I don't, even I don't remember, remember what the I first know. half it. Oh. I know. All right. I know. We could go on and on. Yeah, we could. All right. So, so I think you guys maybe we do an episode one. on this. No, yeah. It could be a really interesting one. All right. So to recap, the nonprofit edition, how to capture attention with brand. Brand inspires people to care. This is especially important for fundraising when it's so important to compellingly answer the questions, who am I? Why am I different? And why do you want me? Brand cultivates culture. Culture can be a great equalizer when trying to attack top talent. Brand defines culture as a reminder. Brand establishes a clear hierarchy by which to establish partnerships. A nonprofit rarely operates autonomously. Bringing on partners to extend their service offerings and build advocacy is essential. The rules of engagement need to be defined based on what is important for the brand and the brand being a nonprofit. Brand creates consistency in communication that lifts the business. Brand is built from the inside out. Consistent communication creates fuel for your brand. It helps to establish a presence that is both authentic and differentiated. And with that, we'll say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.